Howdy, howdy, howdy. This is David Sanchez, and this is episode 32 of the Riffs or Die podcast for March 31st, 2021. Hope you are doing well. I hope you're enjoying that supercomputer in your pocket that you're most likely listening to this on. Never forget, we are very, very lucky to live when and where we do. Gratitude equals happiness. So the more grateful you are, the happier you're going to be. Keep that in your back pocket. As always, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash riffsordie and subscribe, or you can go to riffsordie.com and pick up some merch. Keep in mind, I am also available for mixing and mastering services if you would like that. If you want examples of some of my work, check out the last psychosomatic record called The Invisible Prison, or listen to the last La Special record called Ancient Homies. On this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Mr. Hunter Hancock. He is the creator of cartoons that many of you have probably seen on YouTube. He goes by the moniker Meat Canyon. We had a great conversation, and I could definitely talk to this dude for a lot longer than what we did, so I expect to have him on at some point again in the future. Next week's episode will be probably solo. I'll be answering a lot of questions and catching you up with what I've been up to. This week marked the 10-year anniversary of Time Is Up being released. Havoc's second album, Time Is Up, came out this week in 2011. If you have any questions about Time Is Up, I'd be more than happy to answer them. So write to me at podcast at riffsordie.com and feel free to be inquisitive. This interview starts with uh, a rebound from a little technical difficulties. So we're going to dive right in here and just know he had just told me he lives in Austin, Texas now and he was coming from Portland, Oregon. And in my opinion, Denver, Portland, and Austin all have very similar vibes. I feel kind of at home in all of those cities. They have an interestingly similar energy. So that's where this interview kind of enters. Now you know. He's got a new cartoon out right now called Monster Lab, and I got to create the theme music for it. The intro music was written by me in my studio, and it was a lot of fun to write it talk about that a little bit in this interview, but uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, give it a watch, like it, subscribe to it, share it. If you dig it, you know what to do. I'll talk to you again after the interview is over. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Hunter Hancock, aka Meat Canyon. Let's go. What were you saying though about Portland and, and Austin and Denver? But yeah, what I was saying was just that I think Austin, Colorado, and Portland, and obviously like there's other little like sex and cities that do this, but it's like just cool underground, like comics are still pretty prevalent and like people trying to do like kind of more independent art in like more of a business form. So it isn't so much as a hobby as people like actively trying to pursue it as a means of, uh, you know, like funding their actual life, which is just pretty interesting. It's cool. There's strong cultures of it doing it. Yeah, they're all very artistic cities. 
It's a beautiful thing. I, I love that. Um, so I got to ask you, I've wondered mm-hmm. about this, and I think I may know the answer, but I might be wrong. Maybe you'll surprise me. Mm. The name Meat Canyon. Can you explain? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I get this a lot. I, you know, it was just a thing when back in like late 2016, early 2017, it was just a name generator that I did, and it was something that you plugged in like certain aspects of yourself. And I think I put like overweight, like like carnivore or something weird like that. And like somehow it came out with me, Canyon. And I remember very distinctly my then girlfriend, now wife, was like, that's a terrible, <laughs> that's a terrible name. And I just remember being like, I remember being like, oh no, I kind of like it. And then I just, I don't know, it just stuck. It just, it's, uh, it just stuck with it. And now here we are. So <laughs> I, I, maybe there could have been something better, but for what it was now, I'm just like, hey, I think it was a good fit. Yeah, I, I was asking uh, my girlfriend if she knew what it could possibly mean, and she was thinking it was maybe a piece of the female anatomy. <laughs> yeah, meat, I, I get that. I, I, yeah, yeah, I get that a lot from both uh, female and male uh, <laughs> anatomy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, it's 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 much like my own uh cartoons sometimes it's kind of ambiguous and you know what i think it's just it's it's fun that people get to draw their own conclusions to that so i'm glad that it's a nice little ambiguous name yes we got to make sure no one hears this we'll just beep out that whole section no there you go <laughs> like radio edit we'll we'll have it all backwards yeah just have the whole thing backwards and if people want to download it and then uh reverse it then that's the technology if they have the technology and the power then more power <laughs> to them yes First off, thanks for letting me help with uh, some of the creative aspect of the show. It was really fun getting to create some of the music for the intro of Monster Lab. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I it was, you know, uh, it was. It's it's been such like a cool dream of mine to like want to make like my own show and stuff. And um, a lot of what I do, even just like my work, I think is inspired by even like the music I listen to. And you know, Havoc is definitely up there. So. Just to have those kind of like little little bits of like inspiration twinkled in, I think is just cool. Regardless if uh, people know like my inherent you know decision with that, but it's uh it's always really cool, man, and I always appreciate it. So I'm I'm stoked about it. I'm really stoked about it. Yeah, me too. It uh, and, and the dude that did the outro music did a really great job of like kind of keeping some of the motifs in the intro music on the outro. Yeah, there was, he was the guy who did the original intro. And I remember I was like, I have to have him still make something for it. And um, he heard the new intro and it was kind of like a, a nice, like splice between the two, which was pretty fun. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it, it was really, really cool. It's been a such a crazy fucking learning experience um, getting all that stuff together and even just like finding out how to uh, even run a show <laughs> is uh, quite, quite the, the feat it's it, it feels like a lot easier than uh than what you would think it would be, but there it is. So this is the first time that you have a set series, but you've put out is it dozens or hundreds of cartoons now? Oh god, uh, I, I it would be crazy if it was hundreds. I've put out like a lot of car- cartoons, and uh, I do a lot of parodies, and I think that parodies like parodies are cool because we live in such a time too where people don't want to really branch out and look at new things. I think that a lot of people want to just like get that, uh, dopamine hit and like, be like, Oh, I, you know, I remember that from my childhood and stuff. Yeah. yeah, And this is a great way to like tell cool stories with like preconceived characters and like be able to like have an audience for that. 
Um, and it's just it's 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 just a cool like archetype for that kind of uh, that process. But yeah, no, this is the first time that I've really branched out to like committing a shit ton of time and money into making um, an original show and just a series that you would hopefully want to see on uh, TV or a streaming service. Except it's all for free and you get to watch it whenever you want on YouTube. And that was kind of a big thing to avoid any kind of like big company corporate tie-ins that would maybe censor stuff that you would do or, you know, just impede on the vision of what the show is supposed to be. Yeah, for sure. It's your art. You can't have uh, too many cooks in that kitchen. Yeah, I'm actually curious. Does it go that way? Does it swing that way at all too with like in the music industry? Like do you find like, because who are you guys signed through? We're signed with Century Media. Century, okay. Yeah, Yeah, I was curious if the producers and stuff, if they ever like, you know, impede on your guys' vision or your process at all. I know at a certain level with bands that happens a lot where someone from the record label is there in the studio listening to demos that got cut and, you know, giving their mm. two cents and, hey, guys, we really need two more ballads on this record and stuff like that. But we don't have that. We're not that kind of a band. We're not uh, that controlled. You know, the bands that have people checking in on them in studio like that probably have millions of dollars invested into them. So they do send someone over to the studio to make sure their record is going to be a good thing for them to market and sell. So I kind of get it on one hand because it's millions of dollars at stake when it's a band that huge. But uh, personally, I would much rather have less money and full creative control than to get paid to be somebody's dancing monkey. Well, yeah, I mean, to even get, like, the whole thing, especially with, like, even pop music, and, you know, you, you saw the stuff a lot through the 80s, like, the the classic tale is the Warrant uh, lead singer having to make cherry pie, and then the whole album is cherry yes. pie, and then now that's a, it's a tragic tale. Mm-hmm. And I, I think metal, and especially the metal community, and, like, you know, various kinds of, like, hardcore and stuff are in this unique position where I feel like people aren't there for the singles, they're there for, like, the entire album, which is pretty cool. So it's like you're buying the experience and you're like listening to the experience of the whole album. Like very rarely do I hear any of like my metalhead friends or even, you know, myself where I'm like, this track got me hooked versus the whole thing. Or maybe like a track can hook you, but I think that you're usually you judge an album off of every track, not just the singles off the album, which are pretty cool. It's just a unique experience. Yeah, way different than a pop music listener. Because I feel like people that listen to top 40 stuff, they're more passive listeners whereas metal music in general metal music is very active it's an active listening experience it's not like background music typically metal there's like shit to focus on when you're listening to it as opposed to a reggae song where it's got the same baseline going for nine minutes <laughs> right which and you I, know and I'm, I'm, not, I'm talking down to, i'm down to funk yeah yeah i'm down yeah, to absolutely funk. absolutely yeah. yeah i love all kinds of music um I'm way into funk, love funk. I could listen to it every day. I, in fact, I do. <laughs> but yeah, I'm all over the place musically. But uh, not not ripping on that stuff, but metal is a much more interactive, engaging listening experience. I think it's also interesting, too, how bands can kind of take a little more, I guess, creative liberties and try new stuff out. Like, I don't know if you listened to the new Gate Creeper yet, but... It was really fucking cool. Really quick album. I mean, I think it was like the whole thing was like maybe like 17 minutes or something, almost like a nails record or some shit. But it was like, mm-hmm. it was cool because it just felt a little different. It's just, it, it's really interesting when bands like kind of branch out and like 
you know, some thrash bands may go more progressive or do whatever, you know, just different kinds of things, different kinds of influences can still garner the same respect and sound that, um, you know, fans are used to with their stuff. So just pretty cool. That's why I think that's like a big reason that I like even metal music in general. It just feels like it's, uh, it's just meant for people that, you know, enjoy it, which feels like a weird thing to say, but <laughs> that's, that's all that could really come to mind, I guess, at the moment. Well, metal fans are extremely passionate compared to a lot of other types of music fans. Um, I feel like metal heads are way more in the trenches and in the know about all kinds of things about the band, whereas someone who listens to shit that's on the radio, and I don't mean shit because it's bad, I just, you know, spare me the lecture here, people. But uh, right, 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 right. <laughs> but people that listen to shit on the radio, they don't know like the bass player's name. They don't know what kind of drumsticks the drummer is using. But metal people, they're fucking paying attention to the guitars, what kind of pickups are in it, what kind of right. amp is on stage, what kind of microphone the singer has. Yeah, it's a uh, it's interesting because I feel like it's also not just like with pop music. I feel like it's usually centered around one person, even though if that person doesn't write the music, it's just all kind of centered around one person. Which can it's just kind of lame. Versus, I I love the aspects of a band of like it's like there's no one you know person that makes up the band. It's just like a it's a collective thing. Like when you're listening to a metal band, you don't ever say like oh I you know, I like this one person you say, usually just say the band name versus like, you know, the weekend or whatever else is going on with pop music. I think it's just more, it's so kind of just centered around the person that's just in front of the microphone. Well, I really love bands that write and perform their own music because there's like, you're talking about pop artists, tons of them, as you know, don't write their own music. They just perform someone else's song, which always feels odd. Yeah, I have so much more respect for bands that play songs that they wrote and they record them as well. That's it a special odd. thing. I don't, I don't know if like, it, it feels weird to like, I guess go up there and perform someone else's song. I mean, regardless, you're they're making a shit ton of money, so I doubt they care. But I just mean like, I guess that's like a, a little ounce of like, I guess, respect for yourself of being like something that you crafted and it's like, you know, your thing to do somebody else's thing just feels like some kind of weird disservice, I guess. Or just feels like kind of almost creatively like uh, taxing. Like it would just suck to just be a performer and not like be the writer of the, you know, actual tracks. Yeah. I mean, some of those people, though, I guess they're too busy doing photo shoots and flying around the world doing press and this, that, and the Image other thing to jazz, write yeah. music. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing they're known for. Yeah. For sure. Um, <laughs> so, what made you want to start doing cartoons? Because I think it's really cool that people make cartoons. Ever since I was a kid, I've loved them. I think most people, when they're children, at least in America, love cartoons. And it's so rare nowadays that you see animation that's not just 100% done with computers. Right. So or like, what, yeah, like more like a CGI or like a 3D kind of uh, thing for sure. Like, I think. 2D kind of uh, animation is reserved more mostly just for like adult humor pipeline stuff that you would see on TV and also more like underground or not underground, but like more independent stuff just because it's a, it's so uh, it's the the curve is kind of a little simpler than like coding. And usually with a lot of 3D stuff, there's, you know, people that do all these cool things and make things look super realistic. But after a while it gets so mathematical and 
to me, that was just the thing that like drove me away from 3D is I feel like I just kind of lost that creative touch with it that like drawing gives you of like moving your arms and, you know, just like little kinds of drawings and the like the art of drawing itself. But I mean, I think cartoons and stuff I've been wanting to do since I was a kid. And I think that I remember very distinctly that like in like seventh grade, eighth grade, when like the new Family Guy episode came out or like new South Park episode came out. It was just a ritual that like people from different friend groups would come together and like it was just something that people could bond over. And I was just like, that's just it it became such a cool um thing, like kind of noticing in the moment of just being that these like ideas and like humor and stuff can bring people together and you know, it's just it becomes more of a communal type thing. And uh yeah, I was just obsessed with it. I think that quickly I got out of like children's animation. I mean, like there's things I liked, but I think I just like really went hard on like early adult swim stuff and just was inspired by just really weird kind of out there stuff. And yeah, I just, it's just fun for sure. And I was just like, you know, if you can make a, you're living off of that, then I think that you're doing something. Okay. Especially if it's the thing that you love. So yeah, that was just definitely cartoons are where it's at for me. Yeah. And they're rare nowadays. Like I said, I mean, ones that are less touched by computers. I always think back to old Looney Tunes and stuff. I mean, mm. that stuff was all done by hand. And yeah, Chuck they Jones. Would, they would mm. hire a fucking orchestra that had some genius composer making the music yeah. and yeah, no, all, execute brilliant. it all like flawlessly for the entertainment of five-year-olds. It's insane. But there's no money to do that today. So... I love the fact that you still, uh, you know, are are carrying on the tradition of animation in the style that you do it. I love that, and I hope that it never dies. Yeah, I mean, you know, same. I think so, too. And I think things can be done. It's just, uh, I think that people get hung up on, like, it's kind of like with any, like, kind of creative endeavor. It's kind of like, you know, even if somebody wanted to start a band or something, but it's like, I think people get so hung up on, like, the work that goes into it instead of just, like, enjoying the process and the passion and stuff. You know, like, being happy while you're doing it is such a big thing. And I think that if people could get over that, I think that, you know, it would be a much more readily available medium for people to do stuff. Especially with, like, God, I feel like whenever I first bought my tablet to draw on, because... um I just drawn this little tablet and it was like 1500 bucks. Now that it's like worth like $300. So it's just becoming like a cheaper and more readily available thing that you can do. Just pretty interesting. So especially even like, I'm sure like even guitars and stuff. I, I was always wondering if the prices of guitars have fluctuated at all, or if they're, you know, if, if they've become a little more, you know, ch- or not even necessarily cheaper, but like if like better pickups and stuff are easily, it's more accessible now and stuff. And if that has translated into the music industry at all, I think that availability of products because of the internet has, you know, made anything accessible to people if they've got mm. the money. But right, right. I think it depends on the quality of the instrument you want to get. You can still go out and buy a $50 guitar or you can go and spend $5,000 on a guitar. The only thing I know for sure uh, that's made guitars more expensive over the years is inflation. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> As the dollar gets weaker, everything keeps getting more expensive. Right, right. That's the hidden tax. The, yeah, exactly. The, the the hidden tax. Yeah, I was I was curious too. Like, um, it was kind of funny. I was listening to because on Spotify, um, you guys don't have your original 
uh, album, the the very uh, was it like the 2004 release, or I'm, I'm, I forgot when you guys first released your first like EP. Oh, the first EP we had uh, three different EPs that came out before our first full length record. And um, they're fairly hard to get your hands on. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Well, I, I was because somebody uploaded it to uh, to like YouTube, I think. And I think yep. I was listening to it on YouTube a couple, maybe like a year ago or something like that. And it's just it's 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 so uh, it's really funny that one thing I love about like especially beginning groups and stuff or whatever is, uh, and one thing about especially about even just about communities is. Uh, like wearing your inspiration on your sleeves, and that thing just like sounded so much like you know, Bound by Blood and like Kill 'em All, or like the, just the er, classic early '80s thrash and stuff. And I wonder how you guys have obviously progressed, even with like V and stuff. It, it sounds way more uh, it has that element of thrash, but I just even just like different kinds of influences are seeping in. I'm ever wondering if you guys plan ahead or like what kind of uh, direction you guys are taking your inspiration from. Cause I'm still wondering if those things are the main influences, you know? Well, those things are definitely still the backbone of the band sound. I mean, when I started the band, I was 15 and <laughs> I was just newly getting into music super heavily. And I loved metal, especially old shit that was fast. Right, and right. I liked fast and heavy because I guess I was just amped up by it. It still makes my adrenaline rip when uh, I go and see a band that crushes and they play fast and heavy. It never really gets old to me. It's always exciting, and uh, that made me fall in love with music when I was a teenager. And I started the band, and that was what I was way into, was that kind of music. But I listened to some other things, but... I was listening to tons and tons of metal, thrash metal, old, like, hardcore punk, thrash metal, punk rock, rock and roll, classic rock. That's about it. And as the years have gone on, it hasn't been necessarily such a planned thing to do, but Mm. just myself, and I'm sure I can speak for the whole band, that all of our musical horizons keep expanding as the years go by. So we... I feel like we're constantly influenced by new things that we didn't know about a year before or two years before. For sure. And some of that influence sneaks its way into our music. And I feel like that just keeps happening more and more with every record, which is good because it diversifies the band's sound and makes us, in my opinion, sound like us. We're we're not easily confused with (laughs) many other bands out today. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think uh, it's just interesting. And the reason I brought that up too is that like, I feel like that's kind of a universal thing of like, I, I usually watch a lot of like different kind of horror movies, like horror movies really inspire me. And usually even if I saw something when I was younger, even to, like maybe revisit it sometimes and like have a newfound appreciation for things as well as something that I've always found interesting um, from oh, just yeah. a creating from a creating standpoint. And when you're younger, you can just be kind of a snot nose and just be like, you know, this isn't like if, if I was to use an example of like, you know, it, this isn't fast. Like I remember like back then, whenever I was getting into metal, it was always like, well, this doesn't have double bass or whatever. And now mm-hmm. to go back and like hear different things and appreciation, it's just uh, rediscovering a lot of things too is always a good time um, through the process and how that like inspires you to make things is always a cool um, like wrap around. It's always just a fun, fun experiment. Yeah. New perspective. You see everything in a different way. Yeah, Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. The so, uh, ergo. Uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say the. Uh, is there any? Do you ever? Uh, do you ever like? Is there any particular like movie scores that you like, or is there? Do you ever like kind of sit back and think about uh, scoring things or like different? You know what I mean? Like just from film perspective, I guess it's just the uh, scores have been something that I've been over the past year. I've been becoming more and more appreciative of and how it like kind of moves the story along. Yeah, you can completely change the entire emotion and, and vibe of a scene by what music is placed there. And mm. I do love a lot of film music, and especially Danny Elfman, Ennio Morricone, um, what's his name, Michael Giacchino, John Williams. I mean... Mm. Those dudes are all like pretty goddamn famous, but they're right. famous for a reason. <laughs> they're really good at what they do. Yeah, everybody wants to hire them and put their amazing vision into the movie. I was watching uh, the newest Suspiria or the Suspiria remake, and uh, the guy from Radiohead scored the whole thing and actually like was really, really, uh, really beautiful. It was like a, I think it accented the movie really well. And I was curious if that was going to be something that maybe more musicians would try to do instead of maybe it being like orchestral having more of just like a you know stripped um, down stripped down version of it yeah exactly that movie into the wild all of the music was um eddie vetter in that movie oh i had no i had no idea about that you have you seen that movie no i i remember my my wife watched it and into the wild or am i thinking or no i'm thinking where the wild things are where am I thinking? Into the Wild. I don't Into think the I know Wild is this one where this dude has had it with society. He burns his social security card, burns his IDs, burns all of his cash, and just fucking takes off to Alaska and gets lost. He just fu- properly fucks off. Yeah, that's, that seems... <laughs> I wonder I wonder how thought out that plan was. That sounds very counterintuitive. <laughs> well, I, he, I, I, his whole idea was to be completely self-reliant off the grid and... Mm, is this based off a real story? Yeah, it is. Hmm. I believe there's a book, probably there's a book. I, I don't know. I can't read. I wish I knew. But uh, <laughs> I think it's Leonardo DiCaprio, I, I believe. Or no, my it's, boy, uh, my, it's my some boy other Leo? dude. No, oh, it's, okay. it's some other dude um, that looks kind of like him. I can't remember the fucking actor's name, but uh, it's a really good movie. I'd want to see like a gruff older man do that role. Like I feel like that's what that movie where... There's that movie a couple like a couple of years back called like The Gray or some shit with like Liam Neeson. He, like, oh, that the movie whole, was the, hilarious. Yeah, it was terrible. And but that was like <laughs> I was like that's the movie that I want Liam Neeson to like be like you know what I'm I'm tired. Give him like a fake shitty job and then just like send him out into just like him yeah surviving and like bottle fist fighting dogs for like an hour and a half and I would totally watch it. <laughs> that would be that would be uh, that would be amazing. Well, you got it. Yeah. Um, I think, oh yeah. See, I, I think that Leonardo, he was in the, the Revenant and that the, was also too, uh, similar kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm yeah. looking at it right now. Uh, Emil Hirsch is the guy that stars in into the wild. He looks kind of Leo ish somewhere in on the back of my brain. Hmm. You know, all those white guys, they all look the same. All the, all the white guys, they do look the same, especially, uh, <laughs> especially those guys wanting to be Leo, those Leo white boys for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but speaking of scores, yeah, you, you're 
talking about scores, I really, really love what Ennio Morricone did in Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. When I oh, first yeah. saw that movie, I didn't catch his name in the credits, and uh, I didn't know he did anything with the film. But as I was watching The Hateful Eight, I was like, Jesus Christ, this music is so fucking cool. And then uh, on the end credits, I saw it was Ennio Morricone. I was like, oh, shit. It sounded like him, but I thought maybe he was too old and he was not doing anything anymore. Yeah, I always think that think that too. I know, uh, God, I can't believe I'm th- for missing the name, but the guy who did like uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and all the classics as well, I think he passed away last year. That's him. That's Ennio Morricone, same dude. No, that's him. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, and that's crazy because, yeah, he's like one of the best. And it's like, I, yeah, I was, I was wondering because uh, – those dudes, I feel like that's like the great thing about that art form that they choose is uh, I feel like it's not taxing on the body, so they're able to just still write and you know still make awesome shit. Yes, that's uh, that's a uh, it's really cool though. Yeah, that that's a uh, hateful eight was great, great score. I love the spaghetti western scores and stuff. There's just something that's just like so grand about it. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's almost like uh, listening to like what I imagine like uh, it's like a new age folk tale or like like its own like kind of. Uh, Mythology. It's like what kind of music I think about. It always feels like some kind of grand adventure. So it's always just really, really fun to listen to. Yeah. And isn't that amazing? That music sounds like a grand adventure. All it is is shaking the air that goes into your ear holes <laughs> and it creates yeah. emotions. It's really, it's really incredible. That's why I find like uh, even like some doom metal that I listen to as well kind of has that atmosphere of like. I just love the atmosphere it builds and you can almost tell like a, your own story. And like, uh, there was that, uh, bell, Witch album. That's just like one track. That's like an hour and a half long, but it's just like this creepy, eerie kind of soundscape setting. That's just like, I feel like you're literally like talking to yourself in your head, trying to like plot out what exactly the story is that they're trying to tell. And it's really fun. Yeah, absolutely. That is cool. There's a, uh, quite a few bands I listen to that, are instrumental. There's no lyrics and mm. they I always find it interesting what the titles are for songs that are instrumental because often you can hear that like oh yeah, that's definitely the title of this song. Right, yeah. Even just through bass level sounds it can uh convey even words of the story. Yeah, exactly. Just like certain riffs or even certain sections of uh droning or something it like can give you a sense of like just the pure emotion that you're supposed to be feeling while listening it it's pretty cool especially with doom it's just like sad heavy (laughs) like just always makes you think of like a funeral or death or something like that it's just a very cool way to go about that without having to blatantly say it i think uh that's what they're going for so (laughs) yeah i I think so they're doing it they're killing it would be kind of funny if it was just like bicycle race or something or like or like (laughs) just like carnival day you're like what the hell it'd be it'd be a, be a, a fun way to subvert that i guess <laughs> yeah man music is the best thing ever you asked about musicians doing more stuff composition for film and uh mm. i absolutely that's something that's been a goal of mine at some point in my life i've thought about it for many many years and I've got some really cool effects pedals that would be really fun to bust out to make soundscapes and, you know, just little melody lines and motifs and stuff. I'm a huge fan of Danny Elfman and Oingo Boingo, of course. 
I think a lot more musicians are going to start getting into that, especially not just film, but video games. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I think especially a lot of people that have to perform. And the older you get, it's just, uh, you know, the harder performing, I'm just guessing, will inevitably become. So it's just a cool way to still have that kind of creative outlet for something that um, stands on itself. Yes. And I love that with something like that, you don't necessarily have to even know how to play it. You just get it scored or whatever and tracked, and that's that. It's not like you're going to go on stage every night and play your fucking movie motif in all the different 17 iterations. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of a cool tour or whatever um, to do something like that, especially if the movie's successful to just do that. I feel like that would be like a fun, um, a fun show to see. Elfman does it with uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh shit! Okay, well there you go. He, yeah, he, so sing, like, he sings the whole thing and he scored all that stuff. It's it's really cool. Yeah, I didn't know that he did that. That's him. He's he's not the voice of Jack Skellington in the movie, but he's the singing voice of Jack Skellington. I could hear that now for sure. Are you into Oingo Boingo at all? Um, I mean, I guess not. I guess not particularly. No, I don't think I've really delved into it very much. I feel like I would be lying if I said I was. Do you have uh the knack or the <laughs> the palate for? Like eighties new wave stuff, like Devo and shit like that. Oh, to- yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. All right, then I gotta send you some Wingo Boingo songs. Um, I'll, I'll do that after we hang up at some point. But I think uh, I think that I was always put off by like the name. It's kind of like Chumbawamba or something yes. like that. Yeah, but I feel like yeah. The big difference is Chumbawamba is not fronted by Danny Elfman with Danny Elfman composing most of the music (laughs) right 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 yeah oingo boingo is amazing and you can hear a lot of elfman's scoring style and what he likes to write for movies in oingo boingo music way before he was ever a composer and he really blew up huge i mean he's synonymous with tim burton movies nowadays but he really blew the fuck up when he got the batman gig for the one with michael keaton and jack nicholson for sure. Yeah, and I know that he's he's done he has to have done all of uh Tim Burton stuff. I feel like he's done yeah. I mean like all of it. I mean, I'm looking here, yeah, Edward mm-hmm. Scissorhands, even the Pee-wee Herman. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. Yeah, and Pee-wee Herman, exactly. All from the 80s. It's good stuff. I never saw that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory one, but I saw oh, God. your iteration of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. And uh, cuter. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you <laughs> So a lot of your cartoons have like a very sexual undertone. Mm. And I wanted to ask you, is that for shock value or are you trying to convey a message to the world? I think that, I mean, it usually just inherently comes up to be sexual. I think that even times when I don't want it to be sexual, it kind of comes across that way. I think like the initial goal with everything I try to make is like, you know, I, I feel like I start with humor, but more now. So I just like telling stories and doing things that make people uncomfortable. Like, I, I think that it's kind of like watching like um, something that can like give like or bring up that kind of emotion. I think it's just really powerful. I think it's like why I like horror films and stuff. It's just um, it's a fun narrative. And I think especially things with uh, sex and like, uh, you know, American culture, it's something that's so still so kind of like behind and just like people are uncomfortable talking about it. And also just sex is very, uh, you know, personal and it's, uh, 
it can it can be dangerous. It can be fun. It's just like it 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 goes all ways, and in each way it goes, it's very you know extreme. So um, I find that usually it's just a, a very powerful way. Like I mean, the Willy Wonka one is just blatantly Jeffrey Epstein. That's entirely inspired by Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> And stuff. If Jeffrey Epstein was Willy Wonka, you know, and um, and especially like having it be like a POV, and you're like following him, and you're doing these things, it just makes it even more kind of uh, out of your hands, and you're just kind of strapped in and in for the ride. Um, and it's always just a, yeah, I just think that's like a cool way to do that, and just think of fun new ways to depict these things and these events, or you know, introspective things. Even like if I'm struggling with weight loss, or if like you know, depression or whatever, how do you convey those things that can make for an interesting narrative um, and use different kinds of uh, properties to tell those stories? So it, it, it's usually always a fun challenge for sure. Yeah, some of the stuff, like you said, you want to uh, disturb people, unsettle them. Some mm. of the cartoons <laughs> really do a good job of that. They're the kind of things where, like you said, like a horror movie, you start pointing at the TV and you're like, no, no. Right. 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 And a lot of the subjects even can be considered, you know, some things can be considered offensive or too far, but I think that, um, especially given the animation that it's like already this like level of disbelief because it's a cartoon in front of you. I still think that it still can kind of like hit, hit and ring those tones to be pretty true. Um, you know, and everything that I make too, it's never just to be like, oh, this is just disgusting and it's supposed to be just snuff. It's like, there's definitely supposed to be like a message in there for people that like are actually looking for something and like are looking for the narrative. And it's it's fun though, because I think that it, it can hit that version and then it can also just hit, you know, face value things of people that are just being shown it without any kind of context and stuff. And um, I hope that it has that kind of repeat value of watching it and maybe like seeing a little more each time. Um of maybe what I was trying to convey with it. So uh, it's fun. It's really, really fun. And I think it's like pretty freeing a lot of the time. I don't ever feel really prohibited by anything. And I don't think really anything is off the tables in terms of like commentary or uh, direction. I think it's just about like, what are you trying to say? And, you know, be sure that you can stand behind it. Yep. A hundred percent against censorship IB. And, uh, <clears throat> I'm sure some people have tried at some point to like get you banned from YouTube or shut down or anything. Has stuff like that happened? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, the big one was, um, well, as of recently, I mean, I got kicked off of, uh, Instagram and they gave me the, uh, they told me the reason was because they uploaded child pornography, which is, is, it's simply not true. I mean, it was just Tom Brady, like making out with his son and stuff. But once again, I mean, like with the con, like there's just no context added of it's an animation. It's a parody, blah, blah, blah. Of like, you know, the things that have been in news headlines and all that jazz and that they removed that because it's zero tolerance. But what do you do? But I think that other than that as well, I mean, like I got in this snuff with like Warner brothers and other YouTube channels and stuff. And wow. yeah, I think, I think that you, yeah, with, with making the stuff that you make, I think that you definitely, can have some people that don't, you know, feel the same way passionately about you, you know, that you do or that I do about things and um, they can collide. And I think that's like also a reason why too, whenever you make something, you should make it with some kind of intent. So whenever people do come for you, you can (laughs) be like blatantly, this is the message I wanted to tell, you know, and this is the story I wanted to tell as well. Um, Because 
yeah, people people definitely will come and try to to uh, fuck you up, especially if it's even just like even another fan base who doesn't know you, but because somebody else is upset, they're on their way with torches to burn you down. Yeah, they played a game of telephone and <laughs> exactly. got, got the quote all mixed up, and now they want your head on a stake. Exactly. I really loved in uh, Monster Lab episode two the mm. <laughs> the uh, No Country for Old Men guy. Oh yes, Anton, <laughs> my boy, <laughs> my main man. Yeah, No Country for Old Men is by far my favorite Coen Brothers movie. It probably it's up there good. with it's, it's it's probably like probably in my top ten. I I love that movie. That's an interesting movie too. Like not to go back too far, but like you know, go back on our previous topic, but. You know, that movie, there's no score at all. It's all just wind, which is all pretty, um, it, it's pretty enticing. Like, whenever someone, whenever I kind of look that up, I, you know, you don't even think about it um, until, the, you know, you actually sit down and you're like, holy shit, there really is no music in this movie at all. It's just wind the whole time. So, it's pretty cool. But yeah, no, Anton, uh, Anton is such an interesting character and he's just such a weird villain, such like a menacing guy. So, yeah, I had to I had to put him in something. I I I've done it a couple times, and I definitely is not the last. He will be in stuff in the future. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, that's really fascinating about that movie not having a score. Now that I think about it, you're absolutely right. I can't think of any times where there's any music, which is a really cool, uh, creative choice that they mm. made when creating that movie, that's a really interesting way to go because how often do you see a movie that doesn't have any music? Especially whenever it's like, uh, so tense. I think that like, instruments can, like you said, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it's incredible because the whole time you're so fixated on what these characters are doing and stuff and the inevitability of like the capture and all these different things that, yeah, it's just such a, a, a thought in the background to where, when I, whenever somebody presents you with the fact, I always just feel like you're kind of blown away by it because you're like, oh my God, I didn't even, you know, you probably, you're probably playing music in your head while you're watching it or something, or you were like, you had your own kind of uh, mix or thought on it. So it's just, it's really impressive. I just, yeah, I love that shit, man. It's just I, so, uh, so cool. I think that their choice to not have music probably adds, added to the suspense and to the, uh, you know, thrill of the movie because when someone's walking down a hall or whatever, you can hear every micro detail of the footsteps, no different than you would in real life. I feel like that maybe puts you in the scenes more and you're extra tense and anxious because it makes it more scary somehow because it doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like you're really in the situation. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's as well, I mean, to add on to that, like another good example is, um, I don't know if you've ever seen Hereditary, by Ari no, Aster. but I just watched uh, one of his movies uh, Midsummer. this week. Yeah, I just watched Midsummer. Yeah, Hereditary is fantastic because um, I remember that one was like something that immediately influenced me whenever I saw it. I just was so blown away by it. But there's just some sections of the movie where there's no music at all, and we've been, especially with horror films, we've been conditioned for jump scares and stuff, and like really just like, oh, we're gonna turn everything up and. You know, we're not even scaring you. It's just mostly like, oh shit, you just got shocked because of how loud that was. Right. And um, his is just such a fucking amazing, amazing take on just like the absence of sound and how he can use that to build tension. And it just works so much more effectively than having like really intense, you know, 
the strings and, you know, the low and high sounds together and, you know, building that itself. I think that sometimes even the silence itself can be so much more deafening um, and like make you want to hold on to something even more because it's the absence of any kind of substance in the scene. So you're just like waiting for that jump. Yes. There was a, a spot for sure in Midsummer where I was like, any second now, something's going to fucking pop out and be spooky. Mm. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, oh, cool. It's a pleasant <laughs> that surprise. Was, that was That's such a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I God, like is it pleasant. <laughs> but there was uh, plenty of other extremely disturbing things about that movie, Midsummer. Fuck. I'm going to watch Hereditary soon because um, I, I like that movie. And that director also made like a series of short films that was made into like a movie length uh, uh, project. Oh, yes. And, Keeping uh, up with the Robinsons, is that what you're talking about? No, I don't think that's what it was called. Is It was an oh. A24 uh, feature-length film, but oh. it was like 20 different stories all like oh. stacked in a row. Oh, no, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I think Ari Aster, his, I thought you were talking about his, his like senior film in college was this like horribly fucked movie. I mean, it was like really, really odd um, it's like all about like a guy, this like a, a father and son and a mother, and like the son has like a sexual fantasy over over his dad, and it's like about like this son having like sexual exploits and fantasies about his father and stuff, and it like gets manifest. It's like really odd. Like it's a very a bold student film <laughs> to do, uh, and it was yeah, just super super crazy. And I would totally it's on it's on YouTube if you want to watch it. Jesus Christ. What is it called? I think it's Keeping Up with the Robinsons, I'm pretty sure is what it was. All right. I'm writing it down just so I won't forget it. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not odd. like I'm recording this or, or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always have to write shit down too, though. I always feel like I'm like, oh, well, I recorded something or that, this or that. But unless it's like blatantly right in front of my face, I just will completely forget. Yeah. It's a little easier and do some analog note taking instead of this digital. So we were talking about horror movies, mm. and I want to know what you think, because this dude makes the music for his own films, and I think he's one of the best horror movie directors of all time, John Carpenter. Mr. John Carpenter, of course. The man. Yeah, I mean, my favorite movie of all time is uh, The Thing. So oh, yes. That's I- probably my favorite sci-fi horror movie of all time. Easy. Yeah, I don't I mean, think anything just, comes close. It, it, that yeah, fucking no. movie is so goddamn cool. You have uh, Kurt Russell just being a badass as always, and then also just even like the diabetes man himself is so good in it. Uh, Wilford Brimley. Wilford, Wilford Brimley, yeah. So good, so good. And then also, uh, God, the guy, that the he's an amazing voice actor now too. The um, dude that's in They Live, the black dude. Yes, I'm yeah, trying, he, I can't believe I can't think of his name, but he's great. He's a great fucking actor. Oh, he's amazing, and he's just—it's classic. And then also just everything about the movie—it's just a captivating story. And like, I just love things that are ambiguous and kind of can let the people, you know, draw their own conclusions. And it has that element. The cinematography is amazing. The yeah. colors, yeah, exactly. I mean, like even just like the blue that they use like the blue and red that's used in the film and stuff. It's just great, man. It's just like such a, and also like it has like a level of appreciation for me from like even uh, 
just stuff behind the scenes. Like when you research it and like the dude who did all of like the amazing props and stuff was like 22 at the time. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, the, the practical effects in that movie are some of the best that have ever been caught with a camera. Yeah. And he's like this legendary guy who was sick for like almost the whole production, like terrible stomach issues or something. 22 year old kid. And he did all of it. I mean, it's insane. It's just amazing. You know, John Carpenter too. Just, he just does his whole eighties run is just so good. It's so fucking good. And uh, yeah, he's definitely up there. One of my faves. Yeah. He's the man. They live is also one of my favorite movies. It's so good. So that I know like the class, the only reason I even watched that movie when I was younger was for the whole chewing bubblegum and kicking ass line and stuff. And then it just mm-hmm. turned out to be this like great, like kind of imposter film of like just people hiding in plain sight. It's just a great, yeah, great movie. Same with like Cronenberg. I think Cronenberg in the eighties and stuff as well was just another huge inspiration and influence and kind of gave me like more of a John Carpenter vibe as well, obviously besides the music, but yeah, David Cronenberg through the eighties was great too. What did Cronenberg create? He did like the fly with Jeff Goldblum. He did like, he did like, uh, he did like Videodrome and scanners and stuff. Just like some really classic prop, like just kind of like, uh, really gross. Like Videodrome is such a weird movie. Just James Woods being fucking psychotic. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a great one, man. And actually Dave, the Cronenberg son just released a movie this year called, uh, called Possessor. Um, it sounds like a which, thrash band. It should be. <laughs> it should be. And even the movie cover, the poster for the movie, it looked like a fucking metal album cover too. So <laughs> it was. Uh, it, it was. It was sick though. Yeah, I was really stoked about it. Yeah, man, I really love old practical effects. I'm a sucker for shit like that because people actually had to put their hands on something and really put their their elbow grease into things like practical effects and uh, you know old school animation, not just doing it all on a computer screen, but actually even if it's with an iPad, you did strokes with your own hand. Yeah. yeah that sounds becomes, weird, but yeah, but you yeah, know what it, I mean? It, like you, you're using your body to create the art instead of using a, a mouse and a computer screen. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with doing that, but I personally love art that was created. I love the physically. flaws. Yes, the me too. In art is yes. just the best part. That's why yeah. whenever you get into stuff that's like so hyper detailed, I just feel like it kind of zones me out. Versus like, uh, I know I have all of uh, R. Crumb. I don't know if you know who that artist is, but he's yes. like this the cartoonist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From like really underground dude from like the seventies and eighties and shit. But he like documented all of his sketchbooks and like even just seeing like mistakes and strokes and stuff. It's just like what gives everything such a unique taste to everything and. It's actually what gives it more of a life than any, you know, anything that could have been, perf- you know, super perfect, which is like the super perfect thing is aesthetically pleasing, you know, because it's so perfect. But there's something that's just like more fun and it ha- gives more life whenever you can see the flaws and the things you can see, like almost the humanity in yes. the art and in the strokes. It just makes it so much more powerful. The imperfections make it unique. Like uh, I've been watching the old Simpsons and I love the animation because it's uh, every episode has a different look and certain times a character will make a face that's yeah, unlike, the best. I love that. it doesn't look like it's shaped right, you know, their face looks misshapen just for this one tiny little scene, but you never see their face look like that again 
And I love, love, love that about old cartoons is uh, they were completely unique. They all had like the the fingerprints of the artists, whereas today everything is so clean and everything is so uh, just cookie cutter looking. Everything looks too perfect. So it lost all of that slight artistic freedom, I feel like, to maybe make the smile go a little extra too far on this part or... Uh, you know, make the eyes like bulge out of his head a little more than they would if you were creating it all on a computer or whatever. There's so many examples I could give, but you know what I'm saying. I'm I'm no, a yeah, huge absolutely. sucker for that imperfection and just being able to tell with your eyeballs that someone, a person, people made this. This was not created by AI. This was not made in a computer remotely by 17 different people. This was... This was uh, hands on pens or or uh, paintbrushes touching down on the medium. Yeah, we're gonna have to send this. We're gonna have to send this conversation to like Elon Musk and like really like fucking drive home the point that you know AI is not welcome and that his doomsday theories are correct. Let humanity live on for the love of God. <laughs> down with the computers, <laughs> type deal for sure. <laughs> yeah, some of those computers. One of the articles that freaked me out the most is they were talking about how they made these AI computers that created their own language and the creators of the AI couldn't even fucking decipher it. Like, yo, turn that shit off. Yeah, too much. Hit the off button. Unplug. We've gone too far. I was joking with my friends that there's going to be like Amazon owned crop fields and stuff and that like they're going to be like function through like a video game <laughs> and like the like it, it, there's going to be a point where we never have to leave our house or houses or anything and it's just going to be this weird dystopian future where like we just have drones it's going to be like basically uh like idiocracy that movie i feel like yeah we're we're headed towards something that's like idiocracy mixed with 1984 mixed with brave new world mixed with wally what a concept. What a concept for the human race. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what, a, what a beautiful doomsday parade that would be. <laughs> yeah, if uh, any of us can walk. Do people still use wheelies or heelys or whatever the fuck those things are called? God, I hope. I really hope. I wish. I had a guy, I had a, I had a buddy of, or not a buddy, a, a guy I knew in uh, like junior high who broke his femur going down a handicap ramp with those. Oof. Ooh, yeah, dude. It's no fucking joke. It's so easy to break your bones if you just hit it the right way. Um, I broke my left wrist, and our fourth record almost never happened because my arm was so fucked up I couldn't play guitar. Uh, there was a big question as to whether or not I would be able to play guitar ever again. But I didn't fall from very high, and that was such a huge learning lesson. Like, Jesus Christ, when they say safety first, they're not kidding. If you just hit it, if you just hit something just right, you can fucking or just wrong, you can break your bones way easier than you think. Yeah, way easier. Well, I guess there's just the the femur thing was interesting to me just because they say it's the uh because, you know, they said they they hype it up as being the strongest bone in the body, but my god, mm-hmm. apparently it's, you know, a, a a goddamn tumble can get you having snap in your leg, so who knows. Yeah, that's right. I mean, James Hetfield back in uh, like the 80s, he broke his wrist just from a fucking skateboard. Yeah. Right, right, right. People can break their bones from skateboarding. On a skateboard, you're what, like 
four inches, three inches off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's odd. I feel like it's it's kind of like we need. I wish we could remain in the baby stage to where you could just. Well, I mean, babies aren't indestructible, but I feel like I've seen babies take pretty crazy tumbles and falls, and they're totally fine. And I think yeah. it's just because they have like that baby, like there's no muscle, so they just kind of just fall instead of getting all stiffed up and shit. So that and they're lower to the ground to begin with. And I think there <laughs> is some certain special ratio probably after you hit puberty where like it's going to start to hurt when you fall down because you're too heavy for it to not hurt. Right, right. See, yeah, if, if we had hollow bones like birds, I'm sure we would. It'd probably be a little better. Then again, we'd be even more brittle. So, yeah, definitely a catch-22. Well, we need the hollow bird-type bones so that... Hmm, I gotta think of a good reason why we need those, actually. What would that come in handy for? I think literally just to fly. We'd have to we'd have to lose, like, a lot of muscle, and, like, everybody would probably have to be, like, a certain kind of weight. But I feel like human flight would be so much more... Uh, achievable with hollow bones. So what if jetpacks become a thing? I just never, I never see a reality where that's true. I always, I want it to. They're real. They can't last very long though. They can't last very long. And then also I wonder, you also have to wear a kind of suit. I guess when I think of jetpack, I think of something that's like, oh, I went to Ikea, like my jetpack broke. You know, like in a future where it's like, you can just pick up a jetpack. But I always think of like the jet engine being so hot that it would just like scold the, like the fuck out of your back and your back would just get melted just from like the sheer amount of like yeah like heat and weight yeah it, I, I I want it to happen but I just I feel like we're we'll never get there for sustainable jetpacks. Yeah, but what if we get like the hollow bird bones and then we get like beaver tails slash alligator skin on our rear ends? Mm. That way, the flames from the jetpack won't burn you. you you'll be uh, more resilient. This but is, you also be lightweight, so you can take off because you won't need as much propulsion because you got the bird bones. This is like in a reality where like Noah's Ark, he like didn't find any other humans and he had to like mate with all of the animals and like create these hybrids that could actually give that kind of DNA. Like the Isle of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> yeah, make it in chimeras. Yeah, if we, if we could get more Greek mythology people in the real world, that would be... Most beneficial. I would feel like that would be the kind of reality I want to live in. Especially, uh, like, yeah, especially, I, I wouldn't even mind living in a reality where it's, like, just a Greek mythology era of people, like, going on quests and doing those kind of things. Traveling by boat. Man, I'm in uh, Hawaii right now, and I've been here a few months. And the other day, we went to the docks, and my girlfriend's dad was talking about how he met this woman Mm. who had a fucking like specialized rowing boat made and this fucking lady by herself rowed from California all the way to Oahu. That seems like uh, a long trip. How long did that take her? It took her three months or four months. My God. By herself fucking went across the entire Pacific Ocean. I mean, half of the Pacific. Yeah, that's But there's nothing up. between Hawaii and California. There's nothing for 3,000 miles. Yeah, I mean, that's it's insane. That is, that's insane. What are you doing in uh, Hawaii? Do you live there now? Well, my girlfriend lives here, and, oh. you know, touring all got taken off of the table, and, uh, you know, I don't have any reason I am super tied down to in Colorado at the moment, so... 
I decided, fuck it, why not? She invited me to come out here since touring wasn't going down. I was like, well, I've lived through many, many winters. I'd like to hang out with you, and I don't mind skipping winter for this year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't, you know, and there's definitely nothing to sneeze at just waking up in Hawaii every day. Is it still magical months later? Yeah, it's really cool. Um, the ocean's like a couple blocks away, and the only thing that's not the most amazing thing about here, mm. and it's not even a complaint, just an observation. In the winter time here, it's super windy and it rains a lot. It rains a lot and it's super windy, but it's still warm. You can still go surfing. You can still uh, ride bicycles. Um, you know, when it's raining, it's actually a pretty good time to go and swim. <laughs> hmm, that's interesting. I heard that, I definitely had heard that of. Uh the raining aspect before, but I didn't know that it stayed so warm still, even through the winter, but I guess you are pretty close to the equator. So yeah, it's, it's really crazy here. Uh, if you look at the average temperatures for Hawaii for the entire year, like by month, the lows are never really on average, any lower than like 72, 70 degrees. And then the highs are never above like 85. That's crazy. That's like perfect all year round. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Damn. Yeah, Austin gets pretty shitty. Port, Ooh, port man, Portland, it gets fucking hot. Portland is, uh, Portland's always rainy and foggy, which I like that. I actually don't mind rain and fog and stuff. So Portland was pretty great. Great nature, too, in Portland, man. Great hiking and stuff. The woods are insane in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Or to the Canadians, the Pacific Southwest. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, and I still, I still think that, yeah, especially even like, I, you know, in Canada, I've been to Vancouver, and that's a beautiful city, too, and it's just, it's awesome. It's just, right, yeah, it's it's great. I'm still trying to figure out where I want to, like, actually sit at base camp, though, and, like, I'm getting to the age where I'm, like, tired of renting, and I just want to, like, you know, start putting money towards, like, an actual mortgage or something, and I'm trying to figure out what state I want to go to. Well, you're in Texas right now, and if I'm not mistaken, Texas does not have any state income tax. That is true. That is why our Lord and Savior Joe Rogan moved here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, why Elon is moving this whole deal. Well, also, there's, you know, like New Hampshire doesn't have any income tax as well. And that's a beautiful state, too. Yes. Yeah, there's a, there's a few states, I believe. I, I think there's another, maybe a couple more. Alaska but, is one. Yeah, they pay you. There's negative taxes in Alaska. They pay you to live there. It's true. I went to Fairbanks. I proposed my wife in Fairbanks, Alaska, and that was like a that was a that was a trip, man. It's like really its own world up there. It's pretty crazy. Yes, that's really cool. That's the only state I've never been to. Oh, really? I was gonna. I was actually gonna ask if you guys ever even played up there. No, I would love to at some point. That's like seriously the only spot out of all the u.s states we've not been through you, you probably like find a show up like anchorage or something i think anchorage is actually a pretty big city so anchorage and Juneau would be the spots yeah but uh i'm sure i'm sure we'll do it one of these days if the world ever decides to make these uh make the reaction in proportion to the problem <laughs> and i gotta ask too actually this is one thing this has been something i've been wanting to know for years now was I think a while ago, I think it was years ago, the whole deal with like Megadeth and you guys and like Justice or whatever Dave's son's name is. What mm -hmm. what was what was the whole tiffy about? You know, you see articles, but you never know. Well, the long story short is we were offered a management contract by Mustaine and Co. 
Right. And the contract was not up to our liking. So we said we were going to revise it. And um, before we got our revisions back over, they basically told us either you sign that contract or you're kicked off of the next Megadeth tour. <laughs> and we were like, uh, well, we're not signing it as is because it's not a good deal for us. So we're going to get back to you with our revisions and uh, we'll let you know. And and they blew a gasket and kicked us off of the Megadeth tour. So we wanted to tell our fans, because the advertising was already out for this tour, we had already announced that we're going out with Megadeth and Amon Amar's Suicidal Tendencies and Metal Church. And uh, we made an announcement and we just said, hey, Everybody, we just want to let you know if you were counting on seeing us at these, we're really sorry. We apologize, but we're not going to be at these shows due to contractual disputes. So sorry, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. Mm. Then it got really nasty (laughs) from the other side. But (laughs) there's, I'm sure there's still evidence of it on on Twitter and whatnot. For sure, yeah, yeah. It started getting really, like, just uncomfortably uh, negative and and we didn't really say too much back about it. We just kind of we already said what we needed to say, and that was about it. But uh, it got blown up into a, a a really big thing. But you know, we were the ones that broke the news. Hey, everybody! Just so you know, we're not on this tour because of a contract dispute with Mustaine Management, and and that fucking blew the top off of the whole thing. Yeah, that's uh, that's wild. I always feel like uh. I, I guess the reason too is just because you know I've met people too before that are like uh, I I feel like it'd be safe to say that Megadeth Dave would be considered a bit of a hero when you're younger and stuff you know mad lad yeah yeah for and, sure and to have that kind of experience you know I've had stuff similar in the animation industry and it's just such a shame it really does kind of go back to like don't meet your heroes almost sometimes it's like uh, yeah that's a not a trope for no reason because if it doesn't go yeah. well. Uh, it's gonna fucking not be fun. Yeah, yeah. I was always curious about that because I feel like uh, I remember seeing a lot of people just being like, "Dave's a douche" <laughs> during that whole during that whole thing. But you know, well, I must I must say for sure that we did tour with them. We did a whole tour with them in the U.S. and mm. Canada with uh, su- it was Megadeth, Suicidal Tendencies, Children of Bodom, and Havoc. It was a really cool bill, and we were out with them for, I don't know, six weeks, something like that, and they were great to us. Everybody on the tour was super cool, including Dave Mustaine, including Dave Ellison. Like Everybody was super nice mm. and cordial and pleasant, and uh, you know, it, everybody got along. It was no problem. They were really great to us on tour. No complaints. I, I still love Megadeth. I have nothing against anybody from any of those crews, any of those camps, you know? Right. We even went to Europe with them and, and were direct support for Megadeth like seven times. So I wasn't crushed by the fact that we got booted from that tour because we had already toured with Megadeth. So it was kind of like been there, done that. So, and we're very thankful for that. Of course, it was an amazing opportunity uh, both times we got to go out with them, but you know, that would have been soul crushing if that was our first chance. But because we had right. already done it, we were all kind of like, yeah, whatever. 
Yeah, so you had a good you had a good first experience at least. So like at least the first impressions were good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- things got hairy there, but whatever. I still love Megadeth. I have nothing against Dave Mustaine or uh, Justice Mustaine. Uh, that's all in the past, and I can still enjoy the music, and will always look back with fond memories of hanging out and touring with Megadeth. You know, especially even shorter Bodum, especially with a whole you know Alexi passing which is so sad and unfortunate because i'm such a huge children bodum fan as well yeah yeah it's way unfortunate that guy was a obviously insane shredder and that dude probably inspired literally millions of people with guitars in their oh, hands absolutely absolutely yeah i mean he's a absolute monster monster of a guitarist and just a great songwriter you know it's a, it's a shame but at least he has so many beautiful pieces of work left over that'll be here forever so that it's cool and uh i believe that bodum after midnight record that uh he recorded before he passed oh, so is, is it is it not released yet i don't think it is if it is out i am ignorant to that fact are you looking it up yeah i'm looking at the deal it looks like it's gonna be released on napalm and stuff when's that coming out I'm not seeing a date for the release, but it looked like they were formed last year. So I'm guessing that hopefully maybe this year release or unless they're trying to like respect the passing a little longer, maybe 2022. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, the guitar player, the other one, Daniel, he was playing in children of Bodom when we did the tours with Bodom. So I could ask him and maybe he'll have an answer, but that is very cool that there's going to be something unreleased for people to shine their ears on, I guess, posthumously, which really right. sucks, but it's also a pretty cool parting gift. Um, kind of like, you know, David Bowie created a record right before he passed. and Yeah, that was creepy timing, too. I feel like that was like so, uh, it almost felt like the precursor or something. Like even the music on it felt pretty almost uh you know dark in that sense yeah i think he he knew and uh i don't know i haven't heard any of that new bodum stuff that alexi did but uh we'll see what that sounds like when it's out i'm looking very forward to hearing what that sounds like same same um i will say it is getting kind of late for me for the whole deal i probably should be getting off here before too long if do we do do you think we have enough oh yeah definitely Sick. You know, I'm, I hate to cut it short. I apologize. No, no worries. Not a problem at all. Do you want to come back on sometime? Yeah, absolutely, man. I'd have you on anytime. Uh, so there's just one question I got to ask you because I ask this of every guest that comes on. Mm-hmm. If you could leave behind one piece of advice or wisdom for future generations, what would you want to tell them? I would say take risks for sure. I think anything that has ever come to me in a good way is because I took a risk when it seemed like maybe a dangerous thing to do. And that doesn't mean, you know, taking risks doesn't mean just jeopardizing your safety or your financial <laughs> health or anything. But uh, I think making sure to realize that, you know, it's important to take those steps and, you know, the high risk, high reward situations are real, but definitely um, take risks for things that like you believe in and that you want to do for sure. I think it's the biggest thing I could ever tell anybody. That's like, the biggest thing I tell anybody ever, you know, like, what did you do? I was like, you know, (laughs) 
doing maybe things that seem stupid in the moment, but they are, uh, you know, it's such a pivotal role and pivotal step to your own journey, whether it's creative or not. Um, yeah, I think that's probably what I would say. Wise words. I, I like that a lot. And, you know, I sometimes get the question like you, what should I do? Hmm. You know, I don't know what to do with my life. <laughs> I always tell people like, figure out what you would be happy to do for free and then figure out a way to make money doing that thing. Yeah, exactly. Or like, what's the thing that you, you know, and it's such a loaded question too, because it's like, well, I don't, you know, we don't know you and don't know your aspirations or wants, but definitely like, what what is something that better serves you? You know, like I see a lot of people that are like, you know, I want to be a streamer or a video game person. And it's like, I think it's good to also think of things that something you can grow at, anything that you can grow at and feel, you know, have some kind of respect for yourself. And I think that's like another thing is what gives you self-respect, what gives you worth and, uh, you know, try to put all of your free time and energy into that thing and try to live as happily as you can. Cause who knows when you'll go have a good time. No, uh, nobody's getting out of life. That is right. <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks a lot for taking the time Hunter. I really appreciate it. And do you want me, is it cool to call you, Hunter Hancock, or would you rather me advertise yeah, it as free. Meat Canyon? Uh, you can advertise this wherever you want. I mean, I I know, like, I feel like in terms of a clicks or whatever, it would probably get better if it was Meat Canyon, but you can say whatever, put whatever you want up there. I'll man. put them both on there. And, uh, well, cool, dude. I really appreciate it. Sorry about the uh, delays there, technical difficulties. Oh, no, it's no problem. Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, we, we could do this again uh, sometime in the future. If there's ever anything that you want to plug or whatever, just hit me up and we can uh, plug it here. Yeah, sick. Yeah, absolutely, man. And anytime that you want to have me on again, just shoot me a date and I'll be here. Sounds good. We'll do it again soon. Thanks a lot, Hunter. And there it is. Thanks a lot for tuning in to this episode. I appreciate you guys giving your attention. Any feedback is welcome. Hit me up at podcast at riffsordie.com. Write in any questions you have about Time Is Up or any questions or if you need advice, anything like that. I'm also looking for you guys to write in with funny or weird concert stories. And also, as always, I'm looking for more wisdom. Send in the best piece of advice you ever got or the wisest thing you ever heard. I love sharing that stuff, so bring it on. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by picking up some merch at riffsordie.com or by subscribing on patreon.com slash riffs or die. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Try to leave the world a little nicer than the way you found it. We'll be all right. I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.